0: Hello everyone, this is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Welcome everyone, it is Friday, April 2nd, 2021, and on this day we celebrate Good Friday, as we are in the middle of the major celebrations of the Catholic Church that lead into the High Holy Day of Easter Sunday. It was on this day in 1865 that the siege of Petersburg, Virginia ended, in which Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy, fell to the forces of General Grant, and we saw the beginning of the final days of the American Civil War. It was also on this day in 1917 that President Woodrow Wilson asked the United States Congress to declare war on Germany, entering the United States into World War I. It was on another Good Friday in 1865 that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, although that was April 14th. It was nonetheless Good Friday, but this year for Good Friday, we are hopefully in the Closing days, closing weeks of a year-long ordeal in which our world, our nation, our church, us as families, individuals, have endured the pandemic along with the hysteria, the contradictions of information, the unsurety, and even while many people sought to have a very optimistic view of how things were progressing, had to deal with media and uh, other leaders in our government discouraging that in favor of a fear of a virus that we can't see. And even in these days, as things are beginning to wind down and vaccinations are becoming more widely received and herd immunity is becoming more and more of a reality, you still see and hear of people telling us, well, we need to be careful of the variants. We need to be careful of other things. People still trying to keep us in a state of unsurity. But we are reminded on this Feast of Good Friday that this day was also a day of unsurity for those who followed Christ, but it was shortly thereafter that things eventually were very strongly clarified when Jesus rose from the dead and began to appear to his disciples. And so I thought I would offer a reflection on what we will be celebrating this weekend And for the next 50 days, many people often forget that Easter is not just the one Sunday, but it is 50 days of a season that goes from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. So I thought I would offer a reflection to what we will be uh, celebrating with regard to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And I begin by addressing the whole issue of the lack of evidence that we see, for example, I asked the question, you know, something as basic as, why do we believe the earth is round? Okay, how do we know that humanity has walked on the moon? Now, these may appear to be rather fundamental, even ludicrous questions to which we can easily provide an answer. One might say, well, we've seen pictures. Well, pictures that could have been doctored. One might say, well, we have seen videos of it but we've also seen copies of Star Wars, Star Trek, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and boy, don't those planets look real as well. We might say, well, we've been told that we've been to the moon, that the earth is round. That's what we were taught by people who perhaps could have lied or gotten their information from people who lied, especially to obtain government funding. NASA was a government funded program And eventually that funding was cut. And one of the ways in order to obtain funding is to have results. All three answers have been given to demonstrate the existence and experience of such things as UFOs, Bigfoot, global warming. We've seen pictures of them. We've been told. We have videos of UFOs, Bigfoot, and global warming. So why do we believe these things? Well, in a modern era that gives much credence to science and scientific processes, I mean, even in the last year with the pandemic, we've heard ad nauseum, people saying we've got to follow the science, we have to believe in the science, we can't be people who don't believe in the science. And in this modern era, which gives a great deal of credence to science, scientific processes in which conclusions are based on observable data, one can say there's no better data than eyewitness accounts. First-hand observations and verifiable calculations. After all, Galileo is among the early fathers of modern science whose personal observations and scientific calculations have truly helped to influence the way we see and understand our universe. But when all is said and done, there are still people who believe the earth is flat, who still believe that the moon landing was staged, and that Pictures of the universe from the Hubble telescope are no more than computer-generated artistic masterpieces. In the end, we believe because we choose to believe, or not. Because we put our faith, or not, in those who have taught us, who've testified from experience or education that these things are true, who've taken the pictures, made the scientific calculations that we don't have the knowledge or skills to make. People who have made the journey to tell us that they've been there and they have done that. And this is the great irony of the celebration of Easter. It's the lack of data. Artistic renditions of the resurrection notwithstanding, of course, not one of the four Gospels has a first-hand account of Jesus rising from the dead. Which is interesting when you think about it. It's such an important central milestone to the Christian faith. Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's the first message that the apostles give in the Acts of the Apostles. This Jesus whom you have crucified has been raised. And yet when you look at the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not one of them gives a first-hand account of the resurrection in which someone sees it happening and they describe it as it's happening. All we have been given is the empty tomb. Even the uh, reporter Bill O'Reilly, in his uh, historical novel, Killing Jesus, concludes that book rather ominously after the death of Jesus and the finding the tomb empty. He ends that novel rather ominously saying, to this day, the body of Jesus of Nazareth has never been found. So why do we believe in the resurrection? How do we know that Jesus Christ rose from the tomb triumphant over death? In an age of scientific verification, how can we be sure of something so central to our faith? Well, we can be sure because we have the best empirical data. Like those who testify to the roundness of the earth and the walking on the moon, we put our faith in those select few who have given eyewitness testimony that Jesus is risen. The apostles, other select fathers of our Christian faith, testify to a first-hand experience of the risen Jesus. Others, like St. Paul, testify to a first-hand experience of Jesus in and through his church. When Paul was knocked to the ground on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians there, he heard Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And yet Saul was persecuting the church. The voice said, why are you persecuting me? In which case, the experience of Jesus is also found in the church. And Paul identified with that very, very strongly. Even in the face of persecution that included imprisonment, unspeakable torture, and violent execution, these eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus went to their graves holding fast to that experience, which is a little different from Galileo, who under pressure chose to recant, or at least as the popular storytelling goes. In a previous podcast, I made reference to the fact that he didn't really recant all his findings. He just had to classify one of his certainties as still a theory. But at least as the popular history tells us, when the going got tough, Galileo recanted. But these eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus went to their graves, and sometimes through brutal torture, holding fast to that experience and proclaiming it. As we celebrate the central event of our faith, let us resolve to evangelize that faith in the risen Christ, verified by eyewitnesses, handed down by the church, and as Pope Francis has said, is so essential, is personally experienced in and through his presence, Christ's presence with the church. I recall an interview a couple of years ago in which Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York was asked, "Who is the most influential person in his life?" And he answered without hesitation, "Jesus Christ, of course." A bit perplexed, the interviewing reporter clarified, "Well, I meant someone who was alive." To which the Cardinal answered, with all the surety of not merely belief, but first-hand experience of a man of deep faith, he said, "Well, you know, Jesus is alive." And we know that because we put our faith in the eyewitness testimony handed down over these centuries two millennia from those who saw him firsthand and proclaimed it and went to their death proclaiming that. Another thing that I like to point out with regard to the empty tomb is everything that we're given is it really is somewhat anticlimactic when you think of it, reading the Gospels. After spending what is traditionally regarded as a three-year ministry in which he preached a daring message, performed stunning miracles in which he cured the sick, transformed water into wine, multiplied loaves and fishes, expelled demons, liberated the sinful, and raised the dead. After being transfigured before three of his closest associates, challenging and antagonizing the self-righteous to no end while lifting up the downtrodden with his message of hope, After surrendering himself to betrayal by a friend, condemnation by his people, and ultimately to death at the hands of foreign oppressors, the Romans, Jesus of Nazareth performed the most daring, most unexpected act of his entire ministry. He disappeared. Of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not one gives a firsthand account of Jesus rising from the dead and emerging from the tomb. The closest we get, while still missing it all together, is the account in Matthew, where the women, upon approaching the tomb, experience an earthquake, then see the angel descending. They actually see the angel descending from the sky, from heaven, and the angel pushes back the stone and then sits upon the stone. When the women rush forward to look inside, however, Jesus is gone. You don't get any closer to personally witnessing the resurrection and still miss it altogether as you do in Matthew's Gospel. The other three Gospels tell us simply of the tomb being found empty and an angelic being reminding them of Jesus' promise that on the third day he would rise. Even the Gospel stories of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances are products of testimony from only a handful of disciples, only a handful of witnesses. For the majority of those who personally knew Jesus, the last image they had was of their Messiah being led away under arrest or hanging dead on the cross. Regarding the resurrection, however, all that's left to us is the empty tomb, a reminder by angelic beings and the testimony of a chosen few that they had seen him in his risen glory. In the end, this is all we have. The empty tomb and an angelic reminder of Christ's promise. It's as if the sacred authors are looking at us now and saying, what do you think happened to him? On Easter Sunday, our highest holy day of the year, we celebrate what amounts to a great cliffhanger. After his entire ministry, his suffering, and his death, Jesus is nowhere to be found. The ultimate cliffhanger. Now, our response to this disappearance is outlined in the writing of the letter to the Colossians when Paul speaks of our own resurrection with Christ. Paul speaks of this resurrection with Christ in the present tense rather than the future. He teaches us that in believing that Jesus has risen from the dead, we believe that we too have been raised. Therefore, we believe that we will one day appear with Jesus in glory. In his letter to the Romans, Paul links this death and resurrection with Christ to the sacrament of baptism, celebrated each year during the Easter vigil, in which we do not enter into our Easter festivities before we have first received in baptism the new members of our faith community. Therefore, how we respond to this great cliffhanger? How do we live as children of the resurrection? How does The manner in which we live our lives manifests the level of faith we have in the resurrection of Jesus. Where do we focus our priorities and our values and our lives as people of the resurrection? What kind of people ought we to be if we have been raised with Christ and await the kingdom where we will be glorified with him? As a church throughout the world, As people of faith in Jesus Christ, we celebrate the great event of Christ's resurrection, not as a mystery to be solved, but as the central event of our salvation. Something in which we are not handed first-hand eyewitness account of his resurrection itself, but eyewitness first-hand account of the risen Jesus himself. We profess our faith in the testimony of those who have told us they have seen him. And we believe in the testimony that has been handed down to us by the church. We celebrate this every Easter. And in fact, we celebrate it every Sunday. That great event in which for us is not a cliffhanger. Jesus' resurrection and the empty tomb, which is all we get, is not for us a great cliffhanger, but rather it's a great fulfillment. So let us celebrate that great fulfillment. As we enter into the Easter season through the Easter Triduum celebrations of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil, and of course Easter Sunday itself. Hopefully, you are already in the midst of celebrating with your parishes Holy Thursday, and later today, or perhaps sometime today, celebrated the Liturgy of the Lord's Passion on Good Friday. And hopefully, you'll take time to make a night of it Saturday evening as we celebrate the Great Marathon worship of the Easter Vigil. Not because these are holy days of obligation, but because these are important days for us to come together as a church and celebrate. And hopefully we celebrate out of great gratitude, because we can. Last year we could not. Things were locked down. We were isolated. We were social distancing. And to a certain degree we still are, but now our churches are open. Now we can celebrate. And even if this is not a day in which you normally celebrate Good Friday, Holy Thursday evening, the Easter Vigil, try and make a point this year especially, because after the year we've had, beginning Lent from a year ago, 2020, hopefully we are now grateful that our churches are open, the end is near of this pandemic, and we have something to celebrate and something to be grateful for. So happy Easter to you all, good celebrating, good worship, good reuniting with our parishes inside our churches, good reuniting with our communities of faith as we welcome new members into our church, and a good beginning of a celebration that lasts not just one day, but 50 days from Easter to Pentecost Sunday. I hope you all have a wonderful Easter, a wonderful Easter Triduum a wonderful Easter Sunday, and a very, very joyful celebration of the 50 days of Easter. So thank you, and with any luck, I'll talk to you again soon.